Hey there, my name is Roy and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. We're so glad that you've joined us today. This is our online worship experience and uh, we're beginning a brand new series as we head into sub September, into the fall. We've got a new series that we're starting called Four Cups. Now, when my kids were little, they're not so little anymore. They've gone off to university and one's graduated now. But one of the things they would love that I would do is I would grab them by the arms and I would swing them around. I would spin them around and around, and they call it the helicopter ride. Their legs would flail out, and they would spin and spin and spin. And then I would put them down, and they would be all dizzy, and they would kind of stumble around, and, and, uh, and they would squeal in delight the entire time as, they were, as we were doing it. And, and I remember there was a word that they would always use every time we were done. Again. Again, they, were, they would want to go again. In other words, more. See, there's something in us that's sort of instinctual. That we want, even from an early age, we want more. Maybe it's we want more dessert. Maybe it's we want more pizza. Maybe it's, maybe it's a toy. Maybe you've been given a toy and, and, and now you, want, you feel like you need to collect the whole collection, the whole set. We just want, we want more. There's something in us that just wants more. More than what we have. Well, a reporter once asked the ultra-wealthy oil baron John Paul Getty if it was true that his estate was at the time worth a billion dollars. Getty remained silent for a minute or two and eventually he responded and he says, I suppose so, but, but remember, a billion dollars doesn't go as far as it used to. See, even as you get older, we want more. It sounds like greed, and most times it actually is. But there's another more that's available to us that's not rooted in greed. And even if you're a churchgoer or you're not a Jesus follower, this question lies beneath the surface of our lives. And I think we've all asked it. Is there more? Not, not more cake or more money, but is there more to this life? And I believe the answer to that question is yes. You see, I believe God has more for each of us. And over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to dive deeper into this question of God, what more do you want for me? Now, before we dive in, how many, how many people have moved houses, have moved from one house to another? Maybe... Maybe you've moved twice, three times, five times, ten times. I, I, I gotta be honest, I hate moving. I, I hate it. I hate packing. I hate prepping the house. I hate the showings. I hate all of it. But the one good thing that can come out of moving is this. Is that as you start to pack and you start to go through your things, you come to this conclusion, you come to this idea that, that you have stuff that you're holding on to that you don't really need. That you start to like purge and you start to get rid of some things and you realize you have stuff that you don't need, stuff that you forgot you had. And you tend to downsize and that in itself can be incredibly freeing. It can be incredibly liberating. Now my wife Jen and I, we've moved twice in the last three years. We moved into the area, into a rental place and then until, until eventually found the home that we bought and live in now. And there's something that's come with me in both of those moves that doesn't get used yet. 
I have this suitcase, and it's actually a fairly big suitcase, embarrassingly, of clothes that don't fit me. They're my goal clothes. They're clothes that one day I vow I will fit into again, or for the first time. I'm embarrassed to say there's a few items in that case that actually still have the, 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 the price tags on them. Because I bought them at a time they were at such a great sale price. And I thought, man, I'm so close to being able to fit into this. And one day, well, let's just say I have a lot of faith in future me. But here's the problem. My fear is, is that some of the items in that case I've held on to so long that by the time I'm able to fit into them, they, they may no longer be in style. I wonder if that's what, our, that's what it's like for some of us in our thoughts on God. We had this idea of who God was at one time, and even though it didn't fit with who God really is, we never let go of that idea. Maybe it's about who God is. Maybe we've held on to a promise that God, God actually didn't even make. And so for the next four weeks, what I'd like to do is sort of clean out our spiritual claws and see what is of God, what actually fits, and what doesn't. What fits his character and what doesn't. And so as you open up scripture, you'll notice that God makes a lot of promises. Promises to the, time, to the people of biblical times, but also promises that still stand today. See, every year Jewish people celebrate Passover. And that's a big deal. Passover celebrates the time in Jewish history where God, through Moses, liberated the people from Egyptian slavery. In the traditional Passover meal, Jews sit down to a place where they have four cups set out in front of them. And in each of these cups is a different wine. And each cup represents a promise that God made for them thousands of years ago. And these four promises come to us from a passage in Exodus that the ancient Hebrews referred to as the I wills. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7 says this, Therefore say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I will free you from oppression. Pause right there. So the first promise that God makes is that he will free the Israelites from their oppression. I mean, he's speaking directly to a nation that has been enslaved to the Egyptians for 400 years. And he tells them, I will free you. And then he tells them, and I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt, which kind of seems like he's saying the same thing, like God went to the redundancy school of redundancy. But God is saying, I'm going to free you from physical slavery but then I'm also going to free you from the slavery that is still in your heart. See, we understand this to an extent. Because for, for many of us, we remember the day that God saved us. We remember the day that we devoted our lives to follow him. And even though he said our sins were forgiven in that moment, we struggled to put down our past. We struggled with some of our issues. So God says, I'm going to save you. And then I'm going to rescue you. See, the, the Israelites were saved from Egypt. But as they wandered free, they still had this slave mindset. Physically, they were free, but emotionally, many of them still had shackles on. And then God says, I will redeem you. Now, redeem means I'm going to return your heart to the way that it was meant to be. So he says to, you, so he says to them, I'm going to free you. Then as I work out your, your hurt and your pain, I'm going to rescue you from it. And then I will redeem you. I will show you what your purpose is why you were created. You see, the majority of Christians never get past the second cup. 
close to 90% of Christians will accept God's deliverance, but then continue to struggle with the, their issues, and as that, that's as far as their Christian walk goes. And if that's you today, and let's go back to our original question. Is there more? There's so much more. He says, I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. And then he hits them with the fourth I will. He says, I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. See, the first three I wills were aimed at you. I will save you. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. You are the subject of those three. But the fourth one is focused on God. He says, I'll claim you as my own people. And essentially what this means is once he saved you, once you start to work through your, your issues and discovered your purpose, he wants to use your purpose to accomplish eternal purpose. See, many people don't understand that the goodness of God, the, the, the extent of the goodness of God, because they get stuck in their own sin and tripping over their past. And God says, I want to move you past just knowing who I am, making a decision to follow me. I want to move you past your issues and get you to a place where you discover your divine purpose. But even more than that, I want you to fulfill the purpose and leverage, and leverage your life to make a difference to those around you. And then he says, then you will know that I am your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. So at the Jewish Passover meal, the Jewish people would take four different cups and they would drink four different wines from each cup. And each cup represented one of these four different I wills. Now this first cup was called the cup of sanctification. That's the cup that we're talking about today. This is the cup of salvation. The Bible tells us that because of our sin, we are separated from God. But through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, on the cross, he's built a bridge for us to be in right, right relationship with him. That we are saved from the consequences of our own sin. Now, the second cup is the cup of deliverance. This is where God delivers you from your past, moves you past your issues. And he says, follow me. And most of you know this, but the moment you made a decision to follow Jesus... It gave you new perspective, but you weren't instantly cured from your, your shame and your anger and your greed and your lust. No, God forgave you of it, but we are a continuous work in progress. And God comes alongside you and says, let's work out your issues. Let, let's work towards your transformation. I'm going to deliver you from these things that have been tripping you up. And this cup reminds you, the first cup reminds you of your salvation. And the second cup reminds you of your freedom. Now, the third cup is the cup of redemption. Once you've been saved, once you begin to work through some of your issues, God then reminds you of your purpose and he restores you. Redemption literally means to return your heart to the way it was before your sin, before your regret, before your shame. God wants to restore you. And the fourth cup is the cup of praise. The focus of the cup of praise is that God wants you to experience fulfillment. I wonder, I wonder right now how many people are just going through life, going through sort of the motions. And they're going through a, like a mundane routine where you get up in the morning and you, you get ready for work and you go to work and you come home, you have supper and then you watch TV and then you go to bed. And then you get up and you do the same thing the next day. And The only thing that's different is for some people they're just, they're just waiting to get to the weekend. 
And when they get to the weekend, they drink a little too much to help them forget the last five days. And then they, they wake up the next week and repeat the whole thing all over again. But this promise that God discovered, this promise that God gives us in Exodus is that God has something more for you. A life that is full of purpose and brings fulfillment. So you'll never truly feel fulfilled until you use the gifts that God has put inside you and, may, and you use those gifts to make a difference in others that brings and affects eternity. That's the goal of the church. As that's the goal of a Jesus follower. That when you lay your head on your pillow at night, you can say, well, that, that's truly how you live a day. That's truly how you live a life that is on purpose. Now, I pray that God was honored in the way I spent my hours today. So for as a church, here's the four hopes that I have that correlate with these four cups. Number one, is that we would know God. My first hope is that we would know God in a meaningful way. Not just know of God, not just have the knowledge of God, whether we do this through our Sunday worship and our online presentation. I mean, if you've been a Christian for a while, I hope that when you tune in and you listen to this, I hope that it actually uh, brings, I hope it's, it's, it's something that's worthwhile for you. But I also want to create many on-ramps for those that feel like they're far from God. I feel like they've been disqualified from faith and are having a relationship with God. And I, I, want them, I want those that don't know God to ultimately put their trust in Him and discover what salvation actually is. Number two, I want, I want our, us to find freedom. I, I want you to find freedom from your yesterday. And this is done best in relationship. It's important for us that you have the opportunity to walk through the things that you're going through. Now, before we had COVID, we had small groups. We were able to put those in place, and, and which is a great place to be able to connect with people and be able to, to work through some of the things. Now, those of you who are listening at home, this obviously, uh, this plays out a little bit differently for you. You know, we'd love to be able to interact with you. We'd be able to be able to work out some of the things or questions that you might have or work out, wrestle with your faith a little bit. We'd ultimately love for you to get connected with people. And, and, and that's... That's something over the next coming months is going to, you're going to have the opportunity to do. We also, in our services, we want to create an environment where you can interact. So for once a month, in the next few months, hopefully we'll be able to do this soon, is we would like to be able to, instead of doing a, a sermon lecture style like this, but once a month do roundtable discussion where I present some sort of thought or some scripture or a video, and then I facilitate some open small group discussion and big group discussion in this room. But number three, I want my hope for our church is to discover your purpose. We want you to discover what your gifts are. And sometimes that just comes with jumping in and serving. Now, like I said, obviously the last 18 months have been really weird, but we're starting to rebuild some of our serving teams for our nursery, our ushers, our our, our tech team, all of that, and we need people to help in, in, in that regard. And so I'd love if you're listening and, and, and you don't call APA home, home church, that's fine. I'd love for you to get connected somewhere to, be, to use your gifts in serving at some place. That leads us to the last cup. 
make a difference. We want you to make an impact on this world. Now, it's one thing to discover your purpose, but it's actually a whole other thing to actually do something about it. And as a church, we want to come alongside you and equip you. Whether it's a service project, whether it's, it's serving your neighbors, whether it's a short-term missions trip, we want to come alongside you and cheer you on as you discover the difference that you're making in other people's lives. So today I want to look at the Exodus story. Now, many of you, many of you know this story fairly well, but to play it out, the Israelites are slaves to the Egyptians for 400 years, and the Egyptians use the, the slave labor in order to build bricks and build temples and, and buildings, and it was tough work. But day after day in the hot, hot sun, this is what the, this is what the Israelites did. Now, rewind with me a little bit back in history. Before the slavery, there was a drought in the land. And the Israelites didn't have the food. Their, their crops were all gone, and they didn't have food. But the Egyptians had a lot of grain. They had a lot of crops that they had stored away. And so under a much, a much kinder pharaoh, the Israelites were allowed to come and work for the Egyptians in return for some of this food. Now, this, was, this was voluntary work. And so they worked for the Egyptians, but they maintained their freedom, and they were able to purchase Food. They were able to work and make a living. But then something happened. The Israelite people began to multiply very rapidly. And they continued having babies at a much higher rate than the Egyptians. And, the, and Pharaoh began to worry, what if these Israelites outnumber us? They, were, they weren't a threat, but with the numbers, they could pose a threat. And so in an extreme act of paranoia, Pharaoh overtook the Israelites and made them his slaves. That's where we get, therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. So number one, we see that Pharaoh made them slaves. Now, there's a lot of images that come to mind when we think of slavery. The type of slavery that the Israelites experienced is similar to what we've seen, particularly in uh, south of the border with African-Americans in the last couple centuries. But today... I mean, we think slavery is not around, but today it's estimated more than 40 million people across the world are still slaves. And 70% or more are women. But slavery occurs on other levels as well. You can be a slave to many things. You can be a slave to your technology. You can be a slave to the opinions of others. You can be a slave to your money. Slavery just means that you bow to the pressure of any outside force. Whether it's from a person or an object or a mindset, slavery comes in many different forms. And the Israelites were forced to build bricks day after day in the blazing hot sun. Now, this type of slavery might seem kind of foreign to you, and that has a lot to do with the country in which you live in. But slavery in your life may come in, what, in things that seem somewhat innocent. Addiction to technology. But, but maybe, maybe it's something more destructive, a little more outwardly, like drugs or alcohol. Maybe you're enslaved to receiving the approval of others. Maybe you're struggling to forgive someone and you don't realize it, but you're actually shackled to your bitterness and your resentment and it has enslaved your heart more than you even realize. If you find yourself in any of these situations, the first cup is incredibly important. The cup of sanctification. Salvation is the door to freedom. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin is trapped in a dead end life and is, in fact, a slave. A slave can't come and go at will. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's where you're at right now. 
you wouldn't call yourself a slave, but you feel trapped. You, you feel like your life is in a dead end. And today there is great significance from drinking from the cup of sanctification. And another thing that occurred outside of slavery was Pharaoh did something else that was atrocious and extreme. He ordered all the male Israelite babies to be thrown into the Nile River. Which is point number two. Pharaoh murdered the babies. Now, I'm not one to make big political statements, but Satan uses this tactic for every generation. Trying to take the lives of babies. One reason is Satan is the enemy of our souls. His goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. Now beyond that, what Satan knew was, that, and what Satan knows today, is that every one of those unborn babies has incredible potential. He knows that if he can eliminate the child before they reach their potential, it's a huge win. And so for you, maybe you feel like your potential has been stolen. Taken away before it could be reached. But with salvation, sanctification happens, which is just a big word that means restored. You can have your hope and your future and your potential restored today. Another thing that Pharaoh did was in, is number three. Pharaoh made them collect their own straw. See, when the Israelites made bricks, they would, use, they would add straw into the bricks because it would help strengthen them and keep them together. And usually the Egyptians would cut the straw for them and place it for them so that they could use. But Pharaoh told the Israelites they were going to have to cut their own straw. But still produce the same number of bricks. Still maintain their same quota. Why did he do this? Well, he wanted to exhaust them. He was angry with them and he wanted to get back at them. But it's hard to exhaust someone who has a hope and a future. Exhaustion comes less from the work that you do. Because we've all taken vacations, where we, if it's been maybe two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, and you get back to your regular life, and you're like, why am I so tired still? It has more to do with the exhaustion of your soul. When you know you're not where God wants you to be, when your soul is in this constant state of exhaustion, God's salvation is where your rest can come from. Jesus has some things to say on this. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, like we talked about earlier. But he also says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Remember the promise of God, a fulfilled life. Look at Romans 8. We believe Paul wrote this in Romans 8, 11. says, It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. See, your soul will no longer feel dead. Your soul will no longer feel exhausted and fatigued. You will feel alive in Christ. He, said, he goes on to say, when God lives and breathes in you, and he does as he surely did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, you your body will be alive as Christ. See, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you. You no longer have to feel exhausted. Your soul can feel refreshed. In 1 Peter, Peter says, Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven, and the future starts now. He says, you have a hope, and you have a future, and you have purpose. And that brand new start doesn't begin in heaven. That's our future. But it begins right now. Let me finish with two questions. When it comes to the slavery of our souls, 
when it comes to exhaustion, when it comes to the robbery of our potential? A, how do we get here? And B, how do we get out of it? Well, let me offer three thoughts and we'll wrap up. Number one, we need to repent. Now, we've talked about a lot about repentance lately, but repentance basically means this. I'm going to turn. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to do a 180. I'm not going to allow my heart to live in the condition it has before. I'm going to turn away from what's trapping me. I'm going to turn towards God. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to seek forgiveness from God. Number two, we need to surrender. We need to make the decision once and for all that we are going to give up control, which is hard because we don't like that. We like being in control, but we also have been the ones that have led, the ones who have had control, and we've led ourselves into some pretty terrible situations in our past. And Jesus says in Mark 8, he says, anyone who intends to come with me has to, be, has to let me lead. You are not in the driver's seat. I am. So I think every day, every day we get closer to self-driving cars. I mean, we already have them, but they're not in an everyday thing right now. And then most people I talk to, like, what do you think about self-driving cars? You're like, eh, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I trust them. I don't know if I like giving up the steering wheel and, and trusting technology. That just seems incredibly dangerous. And I understand that. I, mean, I think we need to see more proof. I think there needs to be more testing before we become comfortable where I just take my hand off the wheel and go, go ahead, car, just drive. But a lot of us treat Jesus that way, as if he's some imperfect technology and we're not sure if I can take my hands off the steering wheel or not. But God calls you to repent. And he calls you to surrender all. And then thirdly, he says, commit your life to Jesus. See, what he doesn't ask you to commit to is religion. It's all about relationship. He wants you to live life to the fullest. And that always becomes in relationship. And that starts by drinking the cup of sanctification. Jesus says, follow me. And then the trust comes through that relationship when you follow. And, it says, and then it says, because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using this illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever into deeper sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you may become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things that you do, things in the, that, that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin, and you become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me ask you a question. Have you drank from the cup of sanctification? In other words, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you, have you felt like maybe you're too far away from God to be accepted by him? Or do you feel like your past disqualifies you? Because God would say to you today, you're never too far. Jesus offers you a cup, offers you a future, offers you a, an escape from your sin, and offers you a rest from your weariness of your soul. And he asks you to escape your past, and he invites you to follow him. Let's pray. Father God, God, 
I'm praying right now for the person there that feels like maybe they've done too much. They've strayed too far. That if we only knew what they've done, if we only knew about their past, there's no way that God could, you could accept them. But I pray that they would listen to the words of Jesus and just take a step and follow him. Seek relationship with him and allow you to begin to transform their life. Because ultimately, God, you made us on purpose for a purpose. And you have a divine purpose for our life. Our life was not just meant to sit and spin wheels here on earth, watching another Netflix series, just going through the mundane, through the routine. You created us on purpose. You created us with a sense of purpose. We all know that we were made for more. What we need to discover is that you want more for us. Not from us, but for us. So God, I pray that we would, we would seek that. We would want that. We would want to discover the plan that you have for our lives and the purpose that you made us for. May we be people who make impact in the lives of others. May we be people that are influential in the eternity of others. God, we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.